0: redemption's hill where your blood was spilled for my ransom. Everything I once held dear, I it all at loss. Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees, Lord, I lay Rid me of myself, I belong to you. Lord, I lay me down, rid me of myself, I belong. I lay me down. Rid me of myself. I belong to you. Oh, lead me, lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees. Lord, I lay me down. Rid me of myself. I belong
1: I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I'm so glad you've joined me tonight as we turn this studio into a sanctuary. It will be a joy to worship with you and the living God. Thank you for joining us. Would you please hear the scripture lesson? It comes from Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, beginning at verse 46, a very familiar story. They came to Jericho as he and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho. Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to Jesus, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and following him on the way. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you join me please for a word of prayer? O God, may the words of my mouth be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Touch me, O God, and touch someone else through me. Your will be done. Nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Always in your name. Amen. The minister opened the letter cautiously. The stationery told him it was from a familiar friend. The last time the minister had seen his friend, his friend seemed tired and liking his usual enthusiasm for living. Though his friend was in the prime of life, he seemed to be out of joint with everything and everybody. And full of self-doubt, challenges for him seemed absolutely insurmountable. At their last meeting, the minister had talked with his friend about God's love for him and the transforming power of faith. After hours of trying to encourage his friend, the minister finally said these words to him. Sooner or later, you've got to decide whether or not you want to live the rest of your life the friend said he would let him know his decision in a letter. So no wonder the minister was cautious as he opened the letter. But when he opened the letter, there was only four words and an exclamation point in the body of the letter. And this is all it said, and it was all the minister needed to know. The man said, I've decided to live, Richard. No wonder that minister rejoiced. Now, at that friend's condition... As in any way true of your situation, I hope you will pay close attention to this message tonight. If you are lacking in energy and enthusiasm and full of self-doubt and your challenges seem insurmountable, I hope you will listen to these four realizations that can actually change your life. That's what we want to talk about tonight. These realizations that can change your life. The first realization that can change your life is that, It's the roadside ministries, the extra things that make the big difference in life. If I were asked why God sent Jesus into the world, I would answer this way. No matter all of the discussion of Christology or other faiths or anything else, I would answer this way. God sent Jesus into the world for two reasons. The first reason he sent Jesus into the world was to redeem the souls of humankind. Indeed, this Creation for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life for God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world but that the world might be made righteous through him Chuck Colson was describing on the 20th anniversary of his conversion how God had been so good to him he said God had blessed him in so many ways he said when he got out of prison he was a lonely broken man and yet he had a prison ministry that would work in any prison in the world. He talked about winning the Templeton Prize, which is a very prestigious prize, and receiving the reward in Buckingham Palace. He talked about his books. He talked about the people he met. He talked about all of these things. But then he said the brightest memory he had was when he met Jesus Christ as his personal Savior, and he came to understand that Jesus died for his sins and that his atoning death set him free set him free. But Jesus didn't just come to redeem the souls of humankind, he came to redeem this whole creation. Being converted enables us to see things more clearly. We see how our artificial borders don't help anything. They create a problem, and so we have a new affection and a new allegiance. And that allegiance, of course, is to a higher power, the living God of this universe. And then the second reason God sent Jesus into the world was to give the world a true revelation of God. Suppose you were teaching a group of Chinese children and they had no understanding of English whatsoever. How would you get across to them what you wanted to get across? Suppose you said to them, please stand up. They would just sit there with blank expressions. They wouldn't have a clue as to what you were talking about. Then you went to the blackboard and you wrote, please stand up. Again, they would just look at you with blank expressions. They would have no earthly way of knowing what you're talking about, even in your language. So what do you do? You decide to act it out. You decide to sit down, point to yourself, get up, sit down, get up, sit down, get up. And so you teach them by example, by action, by doing something that they can see. Well, that's exactly what God did for us in Jesus Christ. God came to earth himself through the powerful grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the important thing. In other words, Jesus gave God a human face. Jesus said, he or she that has seen me has seen the Father. For the Father and I are one. Someone said that ten years ago, we had several people living among us. Bob Hope, Johnny Cash, and Stephen Jobs. Now we have no jobs, no cash, and no hope. Well, I beg to disagree because in God's love for us through Jesus Christ, we do have hope. So you could say these are the main assignments God gave Jesus to redeem the souls of humankind in this creation and to give a true revelation of God. But then there is this other thing. Then we come to the roadside ministries, those extra things. It's certainly one of the loveliest lessons in Jesus' life. Let's go back to Bartimaeus. Now, we have to understand what's going on in this lesson. This is the last miracle in the whole book of Mark. In other words, Jesus is now leaving Jericho for Jerusalem. He set his face resolutely to go to the cross. There is no question about that. He's only 15 miles away, and so he's resolutely set his face to go to the cross. That's what he's thinking about. That's what's on his mind. But then we have this beggar, Bartimaeus, who cries out for Jesus when he passes by. Well, there's really, as far as the comparison of what's going to happen in Jerusalem and what's going to happen to this blind man, there is no comparison. Everything is going to happen with such greatness in Jerusalem. But here is this blind beggar. There's only nothing, and yet nothing to Jesus was everything. There was a deed that needed to be done, and so Jesus did it in love. It was a roadside ministry. And then here was Jesus one day teaching in the synagogue. He was teaching in the synagogue. He was teaching people how to live and how to live for God and what God was like. But then he looked up, and he saw a woman over there who was suffering. He stopped his teaching, important teaching, and he went over and he healed her. You see, it was a roadside ministry. It was an extra thing. And then here were these mothers coming to Jesus. What did they want to do? They wanted Jesus to heal their child. They wanted Jesus to bless their child. They wanted Jesus to touch their their child. But these disciples were indignant and said, He doesn't have time for this. But Jesus became somewhat angry. He said, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Again, it was a roadside ministry. It was an extra thing. Ladies and gentlemen, it was these extra things, the roadside ministries that made people love Jesus then, and it makes us love him now. And we need to get this lesson in our own lives. We'll be the happiest, and we'll represent Jesus Christ the best if we participate in roadside ministries, those extra things. That's what will bring joy to our living. When I was pastor of First Methodist Church, Dallas, Texas, I had back surgery, and I was out of the pulpit for a month. I received a lot of get well cards, And I am so appreciative, I was and am so appreciative. But one couple sent me a card every single day for a month. 30 cards every single day for a month. When I thanked them for what they had done, they said, no, it's just something we can do. It was a roadside ministry, a roadside ministry. So the first realization that will change your life is to realize that it's the roadside ministries or these extra things, these extra ministries that make the difference. The second realization that will change your life is that miracles do happen. Miracles do happen. Louis Grizzard, in one of his columns was writing about being at church or at least being outside the church, his home church at Moreland United Methodist Church in Moreland, Georgia. He said he hadn't been in that church in 10 years but his roots were there. But as he stood there looking at the church, he said he started reminiscing. He started reminiscing about the youth group that met on Sunday nights. It seemed that there were two rowdy young men in Moreland who got into trouble with the law, and the judge sentenced them to go to the youth group every Sunday night for six months. That was a part of their punishment. Busk was odd, said he remembered the first night they showed up, they beat up two of the youth, and then throw a, they threw a plate at the lady who was in charge, who always brought cookies. Frankly, she ducked just in time. But then he said he remembered what the lady said to the boys. She said, I don't approve of what you boys have done, and neither does Jesus. But if Jesus can forgive you, I guess I can too. And then Louis Grisard said he remembered those two boys. Now they've grown up to be good daddies, and they're in church every single Sunday. Louis Grisard said, that was the first miracle I ever saw. The first miracle I ever saw. Then there was a man teaching in church. He was teaching about the Old Testament. And so he said to the people, he said, you know, the Hebrew word for red and reed is exactly the same. So when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, he didn't lead them through the Red Sea. He actually led them through the Reed Sea. It was about two inches deep. It wasn't a great miracle. The wind just happened to blow just right, and so they were able to walk through. But as he was telling that, one of the boys said, hallelujah, and the man looked at him and said, what is that about? What are you talking about? He said, it's another miracle. He said, just imagine, God drowned the whole Egyptian army in just two inches of water. So that is another miracle. I'll tell you, beloved, miracles have been a problem for the church all these years. No question about it. Mildly stated, it's been a great controversy whether miracles actually happen or not. To be sure, the Renaissance, the Reformation, the Enlightenment, and the Industrial Era have all added blocks that stand between miracles and modern day living. In other words, if people believe in miracles, they have been associated with being anti-science, anti-rational, and anti-intellectual. On the other hand, there are people who believe in miracles, and many of them. Some of the researchers say that 90% of Americans believe in God, and 80% believe in miracles. Why? Well, as Calvin Miller tells us, evidently, we need a God that's bigger than we are. And evidently, we do. We do. And then writing in in his book, Conversations of the Heart, Bishop Woody White says, I do believe in miracles, the occurrence of acts not explained by rational and logical reasoning, cures and healings that have taken place in the face of contrary medical predictions and evidences, but this is more a testimony to the power of God than to the claims of men and women. I asked somebody not long ago how their family member was doing, and she replied, it's a miracle that he's alive. And then she went on to explain. You know, in preparation for this sermon, I read a lot of things related to miracles. And I read something about Barbara Brown Taylor in one of her sermons. She called it the problem of miracles. And I simply think what she said is so helpful. And so I'd like to share that with you. So I hope you'll listen carefully to what she's saying here. The problem with miracles is that it's hard to witness them without wanting one of your own. Secondly, not everybody who prays for one gets one. Not by a long shot. And meanwhile, there are people who get them without asking for them at all. Third, there is no formula for miracles because God rarely does the same thing in the same way twice. Fourth, One of the meanest things religious people do is when they blame the lack of a miracle on a lack of faith. Number five, faith does not work miracles. God does. To concentrate on the strength of our belief is to practice magic. To concentrate on the strength of God is to practice faith. God and faith work miracles. And then she concludes with these words, I do not expect any of us will stop praying for miracles. I have not because the world needs miracles any miracle it can get. Every time you hear about one, remember that you are getting a preview of the kingdom. Do not fear, only believe. That is our job. The rest is up to God. I think the finest definition of a miracle that I know is this. God makes a way. That is the finest definition of a miracle I know. God makes a way. There was a young lady, a young mother, who just birthed her third baby she began to wonder how in the world she was going to be able to look after those three babies and do the housework. Unexpectedly, an older Christian friend paid somebody to come in and help her for nine months. God makes a way. He always does. If I were to ask you to tell me about a miracle God had worked in your life, you may be able to answer or you may not. But if I were to ask you, how God has made a way for you, I'm sure you could give answer, and so could I. So the second realization that will change your life is that miracles do happen, and they really do. I am a believer. And then the third realization that will change your life is you have to put yourself into the flow of God's blessing. You have to put yourself into the flow of God's blessing. What is the real secret of Bartimaeus being able to see? Listen to me, it was the powerful urge of faith that rose up in him when Jesus passed by and he reached out and he cried to Jesus. So it was Nicodemus that came. Not Nicodemus, it was this blind beggar Bartimaeus that came to Jesus. And then there's another story about Jesus being in a temple. He was preaching on the Sabbath. He saw a woman in there who had an 18-year-old infirmity and he healed her. But I want you to think about this. This woman with an 18-year-old infirmity, she might have stayed away from the synagogue on that day. She might have stayed away, and nobody would have blamed her or criticized her. But had she stayed away on that day, more than likely she would have gone through life all bent over and crippled with her 18-year-old infirmity because there's no record that Jesus ever came there again. You know, I remember years ago, Robert Shuler had a book title he called if it's going to happen, it's up to me. If it's going to happen, it's up to me. In that book, Sheila said, there's nobody that can dream your dream for you except you. There's nobody that can kill your dream except you. There's nobody that can decide to fulfill your dream except for you. And I would also like this to make this observation. There is nobody that can put themselves into the channel and flow of God's blessing except you. You have to put yourself in the channel and flow of God's blessing. There's a story of a young pilot who flew into a California private airport. He picked up his mother and father. He flew in, picked them up, and immediately flew out again, and shortly thereafter, they crashed. All three of them were killed. When they were investigating, they did not find that any fire had occurred, and they wondered about that. They looked at his gas tank. It was dry, incredible. Witness says that he had flown into the airport in such a hurry, picked up his parents that he had forgotten to fuel up before he took off. Here's my point don't take off until you fuel up. Don't take off until you fuel up. So, here are some realizations that will change your life. The first realization that will change your life is to remember that it's the roadside ministries that make the big difference. Secondly, remember that miracles do happen. And thirdly, remember that you have to put yourself into the channel of God's blessing. If you do these things, your life will be changed. Let us pray. Lord, we're so thankful again for your presence. We are grateful for your love. It undergirds our lives. And we are thankful that you are able to fulfill and make us all new people. Help us, O God, to take these realizations to heart. And to allow you to work them in and through us to your glory and our good. We'll be sure to give you the praise and the glory. Amen. Thank you so much for joining me tonight in this program. I trust that it's been a blessing and that you'll share it with others. Have a good evening.
0: Quiet place, in the stillness, you. in the secret in the quiet hour i wait only for you because i want to know you pushing out. touch you